For those of you who are just joining us, we're going through the book of Esther. And last week, Marco was his first time preaching, and I thought he did an outstanding job. You know, I know he's not here. He's at Mammoth Fishing right now. But I know, I hope he could, uh, he felt your encouragement. And uh, like I said, God was speaking to him. And I'm glad that we have another preacher to give me a break from time to time. Um, but where we are is that Esther became the queen of Persia. And there was a person named Haman. Haman. And he was kind of like I told you, Jafar. You know, in Aladdin. He was like the royal vizier. He was the second in command. Well, this, and then Esther had a cousin named Mordecai who pretty much raised um, Esther because, you know, her parents died. And so Haman would walk through and Mordecai would not bow down to him. Mordecai was furious. Uh, not Mordecai. Haman was furious that Mordecai wouldn't bow down to him. And so what he said is he goes, I'm not only going to just kill Mordecai. I am going to exterminate the entire Jewish population. And so Mordecai gets wind of, the, uh, Mordecai gets wind of this. And he tells Esther, who is now queen, Esther, you're queen. You've got to do something. He's going to kill our people. All of them, including you, including me. You've got to go to the king and tell him not to do this. But what was Esther's reply? Esther's reply was, you know, if I go before the king unannounced, I'm going to be killed. Because back in those days, you could only go before the king if you were invited. If you just showed up uninvited and he didn't put out his scepter to you, you were executed right then and there. And so that's what um, Esther told Mordecai. But Mordecai told Esther, look, if you don't say anything, you're going to die, I'm going to die. But who knows that maybe God just put you in this position for a moment such as this so you could save our people. And at the end of that uh, uh, chapter, we see Esther saying, okay, I'll go. If I perish, I perish. You know, if the king doesn't put out his scepter, I'm going to be executed. But I can't watch the slaughter of my people without doing anything about it. And this is where we pick up the story right now. So if you have your um, Bibles, could you turn with me to Esther chapter 5, starting with verse 1. And it will be on the screen for those of you who want to read with me on the screen. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes. And stood in the inner court of the king's palace, in front of the king's quarters, while the king was sitting sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite to the entrance of the palace. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight. And he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. Now, if this was a movie, right, you would see the king sitting on his throne, and you would see Esther, right, standing there, their eyes meet. Now, this is when the uh, music is going to start building up, and this is where the tension is building up, and you're sitting there going, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? She disobeyed the king, and then all of a sudden, right as the music crescendos, boom, he reaches out the scepter, and for those of us who are watching, we go, She's not going to be killed. She's not going to be executed. Why? Because 
Even though she defied the king's order, she found favor in the king's sight. Now remember Queen Vashti, the queen that Esther replaced? The king asked her to come uh, before him at a party. And what did she do? She refused the king. The king was furious. And so the king said, okay. Uh, He listened to his wise men and they said, well... Uh, make a decree that says that she is no longer the queen and she can no longer come into your presence. So he did that. And so we don't know exactly why Vashti didn't come before the queen. We don't know if she was stubborn. We didn't know if she kind of, she was just naturally defiant because she was the queen. But one thing we know about Esther, that Esther found favor with a lot of people, including the king. And why is that? Because we see that Esther was humble. Esther had a servant's heart. And ladies, you know, this is a lesson for, for you and for us. Is that the way to your husband's or a man's heart is not by challenging him. It's to show that humility and the servanthood. And it's just, you know, I know what's culture today. When we watch sitcoms like Everyone Loves Raymond. Or the king of queens, right? Where, you know, Raymond is pictured as this bumbling husband. And his wife just has to look at him and boom. You know, he uh, snaps into shape. And she's the one that's got, got it together. And her husband, who's portrayed, like I said, as this bumbling guy, is always messing up. And we see that king of queens and all of that too. Where it's like the wife is a strong one. And she feels like, oh, I got to be on top of my husband. If he doesn't do it, then things aren't going to get done. But you know what? That's not the way to reach our husbands. The way to, that way that you find favor with your husbands. And through that servanthood, that humility that Esther had. Because both Vashti and Esther defied the king's order. One found favor with the king, the other didn't. Why? Because Esther had that servant's heart. And Esther had humility. She didn't stand there and wanted to defy the king. She didn't want to defy her husband. And that's an important lesson. And then the king said to her, What is it, Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you, even to half my kingdom. Now, of course, he wasn't going to say, Hey, I'm giving you half my kingdom. Basically, what he was saying is, Hey, honey, you know, what do you want? I'll give you your heart's desire. Just tell me. And once again, she found favor with them. She was humble. She had the servant's heart. And how did the king react? Honey, I'll give you the desires of your heart. And Esther said, if it pleases the king, let the king and Haman come today to feast, to a feast that I have prepared for the king. Then the king said, Bring Haman quickly so that we may do as Esther has asked. So the king and Haman came to the feast that Esther had prepared. And this is kind of funny here. Because you know when Queen Vashti defied the king, all of the men, all of the noblemen were freaking out. Because they were saying, man, if Queen Vashti defies the king, then all of our wives are going to be defying us. This is not good. But now look at what we have here. We have Esther because she was servant, because she was humble. She told the king what to do. And the king said, I'll do it. I'll do it. What else do you want me to do? Right? 
And so that's how we see the difference in the way the king reacted to Esther. Where when she asked something, I'll do it. No problem. Although when Vashti defined him, he was totally outraged by that. How could a woman tell me what to do? How could a woman stand up to me and defy me? And yet, yet, we see a woman telling him what to do. And he said, okay, honey, no problem. I'll do it, and I'll do it right away. Why? Because she found favor. And said, as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said to Esther, What is your wish, and it shall be granted to you? And what is your request, even to half my kingdom, and it shall be fulfilled? Then Esther answered, My wish and my request is, If I found favor in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to the feast that I will prepare for them tomorrow. I will do as the king has said. Wow. Okay, so this is Amy, uh, uh, Esther. You know, she, There's something going on here where we're going to see in the next chapter, but she's planning something. Okay, she's planning something here. And the next slide says, And Haman went out that day joyful and a glad of heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai at the king's gate, that he neither rose nor trembled before him, he was filled with wrath against Mordecai. Once again, now we see this, right? This is a total testosterone thing going. He's saying, hey, the queen has invited me to a party. And so he's leaving the palace all happy. I know he can't go home to tell, wait to go home and tell his wife. Then he sees Mordecai sitting, not standing before him. Why? Because Mordecai didn't want to. And number two, Mordecai wasn't afraid. <laughs> and so it just infuriated um, uh, Haman that Mordecai... Did not even fear him. Did not even fear him. It says, Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home. And he sent and brought his friends and his wife, Zeresh. So, of course, he had this wonderful news. So he goes home and he brings his wife and his friends because he wants to tell them the good news. And then it says in verse 11, And Haman recounted to them the splendor of his riches, the number of his sons, all the promotions which the king had honored him, and how he had advanced him above the officials and the servants of the king. Now, guys, if you take a look at this list, aren't these the things that give us self-esteem? Aren't these things that we kind of brag about? And we're going to go through them one by one. And take a look at them. The first one, it says, And Haman recounted to them the splendor of his riches. Basically, what Haman is saying, I have more money than you. That's what he's saying. He's bragging because I have more money than you. Why? Well, well, money allows me to buy the things that you can't have. Money allows me to go to places maybe that you can't have, to have the kind of lifestyle that you can't have, to provide for my family better than you can. So he's bragging about all of this. But you know what? You know, the things in life that I've learned, the things that I remember... The things that I've done with my family or with my friends, those memorable events, the majority of them didn't cost any money. Those are the things I remember. You don't have to have a lot of money 
in order to have memorable experiences with people. And the Bible says there's nothing wrong with money. I know people say, well, money is the root of all evil. That's not correct. What does the Bible say? The love of money is the root of all evil. Money, there's nothing wrong with money. You know, and, but what is, God, God's blessed all of us. But what does God want us to do with our money? Not to brag about it. Not to get our, our esteem from it and say, well, I have better this than you. And I could do that because you can't. What does God want? He goes, I've blessed you with this so you could be generous. I've blessed you with this so you could be a blessing for others. Because Deuteronomy says that God is the one that gives people the ability to accumulate or make wealth or earn a living. Okay? So let's make no mistake that wherever you're at in life right now, whatever you have acquired, it's all based on the grace of God and not your own work. Because the problem is, when we esteem ourselves, we think it's us. The Bible is clear that any blessing that we attain in life is only because of the grace of God and not us. And we're taking credit for something that God wants. And then we are misusing what God wants to give us. Once again, nothing wrong with money as long as we're generous and we use it to be a blessing with others. And I'm going to camp on this one a a little bit here. And it says, once again, And Haman recounted them the splendor of the riches and the number of his sons. Okay, so back then, um, you were considered fertile and manly if you could bear sons. Right? And so uh, uh, our father would brag about being able to bear sons. Not that there was anything wrong with daughters, but back in that period, like the sons were everything. So number one, it meant that they were virile. It meant that God blessed them. And usually having sons was viewed as a sign of blessing. Now in today's you know culture, especially in our culture here, that really doesn't you know, apply to us, right? It's not like, oh, I got a son. You know, I'm a man. You know, I got a son. No, but what we do here is I think we brag and boast about our, or even get our steam based upon our children's accomplishments. Basically, it's my kids are better than yours. Now, people aren't going to come out and say that. But you know when you go to certain places and they start dropping things that you know that they're trying to say, this is how great my kids are. You know, my kid's going to this high school. My kid got this away. And there is nothing wrong with esteeming and to be proud of your kids. Nothing wrong at all about that. But one of the things that we need to take a look at is as we are looking at our kids and as we are, you know, proud of what they're doing, what are we proud of? Are we proud of their accomplishments, whether it's on the uh, sports field or if it's through some art or it's their um, report card or whatever ability that they're doing? Or are we proud of them because of the spiritual growth that we're seeing in their lives. And this is really important. Because we have 
18 years with our kids, around 18 years, to make a difference in their lives, to teach them all that they need to know as they leave the house. And how we use those 18 years is extremely important because eternity is at stake here. Are we teaching them, hey, these are, the, this is, these are the values of the world, and you need to be a part of that. You need to know how to succeed in these areas. Are we teaching them, hey, this is what God says. This is what God wants you to be. And this is how I'm going to train you so you could become that. And the reason I say that is because we see in the United States that the more and more people are leaving the faith. That the biggest group of individuals now, especially young people, are what they call the non-affiliates. I don't affiliate with any, you know, religion or, or, or faith. And one of the things that we learn also is in the previous generations, when, you know, the kids, sometimes the kids after college, they would leave um, the church, they would leave the faith, but they would come back after they would have kids. Right? They would have kids and they would say, okay, I want my kids to have a a good upbringing so they come back. But do you know what we're finding out today? They're not coming back. Once they're gone, they're gone. And one of the things that Mako said last week that the verses he quoted was, What profits a man if he gains the entire world and loses their soul? I mean, the scariest words that anyone could hear when they stand before Christ at the judgment seat of Christ is, I never knew you. And I think the worst experience for a parent would be if they're standing, you know, they see their child standing before God, and Jesus Christ says, I never knew you. Then just have that child turn to you and say, Dad, why didn't you tell me? Dad. Why didn't you train me? Why didn't you teach me in the areas of spiritual growth? Why did you push me in all of these other things? Because all of these other things are temporal. Why didn't you spend your time training me and doing the things that Pastor Phil read with the passage of Scripture he read today? That would be the worst Yet we're so enamored at pushing our kids towards these other things that are temporary. It's important. Because our kids pick up what's important to us. And if living our faith isn't important, if there are other things that are more important down the line, they'll pick that up. And it would be kind of like Michael, right? Let's say for whatever reason I didn't teach him about the faith, or he finds out that my faith really isn't that important to me. Guess what? When he grows up in, Lord willing, if he has kids of his own, do you think faith is going to be that important to him? Probably not. He'll probably be doing other things other than following God. And then when he has children, guess what? Most likely the tradition of faith might even end there, where they're not even coming back. This is why teaching your kids and making choices to teach your kids about the faith is so important. Because people right now are saying, well, what does it do for me? Christianity, the faith, doesn't do anything for me. All these other things seemingly esteem me, but not my faith. 
But the problem is, if we have that attitude, if we go to the God Almighty and we say, God, you're not doing anything for me, guess what? You're not going to grow. You're not going to see God work. Because God doesn't, is not at our beck and call. God is saying, no, come follow me. Invest your time. Invest your life in me. It's kind of what John F. Kennedy said, right? Don't ask what your country could do for you. Ask what you could do for your country. And the only way we grow in our faith to see God work is if we have that ladder. If we're exp- ladder um, value. If we expect God to be coming through for us, that God is our genie, then we'll never grow. But dads, this is really important because we're the spiritual leaders. You know, they take their cues of their faith from us. But you know the good news is it's never too late. It's never too late. And so let's say, okay, you know, maybe these past few years I wasn't doing the job I should have done. But you know what? Tomorrow's a new day. You could always say, hey, you know what? I want to join a small group. You know, I want to go to BSF, a Bible study fellowship, to learn more about scripture. We're going to have more classes on, uh, you know, how do you mature in your faith? Start taking advantage of those things. Because once again, our children follow our lead. And then it says, And Haman recounted the splendor of his riches and number of his son, and all the promotions with which the king had honored him. And so what we're saying here is, I'm more valued at work than you. And that's what he's saying. As he was bragging about all the promotions at work that he got. And men, don't we do that too? You know, part of our self-image and our value comes with how high we're promoted and how fast we're promoted. You know, and doesn't that it bother us when we see somebody at work that's promoted and we go, why were they promoted? Man, that person's so not qualified. The only reason that person got promoted is because they know so-and-so, right? And it bothers us when we see people who aren't worthy promoted ahead of us. Now, there's nothing wrong with recognition or being promoted, right? Joseph was promoted to the second. Remember Joseph? You know, was thrown into slavery, but through God's providence, he rose to number two in Egypt. Daniel was another one. There's nothing wrong with being promoted, but make sure at work... That you're honest. That you're honest. And one of the things I want to tell you, I know I've told you this a thousand times, but the best advice my mother gave me was at work was what? Do you guys remember that? It's a simple phrase. What was that? You don't remember? Okay, I'll say it again. Young people remember this, okay? My mom said, outside living your faith at work and giving God all the glory, she said, make your boss as successful as you can. Make your boss as successful as you can. And I followed that philosophy. And because of that, I was able to be promoted up through um, the, uh, uh, the corporation. Not to brag about, well, there was some times when my esteem got, I got caught up in that. But I think that's a good uh, value to live by when you put God first in your workplace, and then uh, make your boss as um, successful as you can. And then we go on, it says, And Haman recounted the splendor of his riches, the number of his sons, all the promotions which the king had honored him, and how he advanced him 
above the officials and the servants of the king. Okay, now Haman is saying, I'm more powerful than you. I'm more powerful than you. You know, there's nothing wrong with being in a high position at work. There's nothing wrong with that. Because it gives you a platform, like Marco was telling you last night, that Queen Esther had a platform where she could do something to save our people. And this is what I try to tell people. If you are gifted in this area, okay, if you are able to lead, if you are able to manage, you know, I tell people, go for it. Go for it. Because if you could get to a, a place in your company where you are um, in a you know, position of power, then you could make change. You could impact people, right? And the, and the reason for your promotion isn't to say like Haman did, Ooh, look at me, I'm Jafar, I'm number two, right? I'm number two. No. You know, what, he, what we're saying here is if you could rise to a position where you are number two, guess what? You could impact a lot of people under you. And one of the things I told you earlier, when I managed at Continental, pretty much I told my employees this, that their health was number one, their families were number two, and work was number three. And if you ever had a problem with your health, if there was something in your family, come let me know. I'll take care of that for you. I'll give you the time off. I'll cover for you. And, and you know what? I led with Christian values. I love them as Christ, you know, as when he said, love your neighbor as yourself. I did those things. And guess what? It makes a huge difference. Because for all of us who have worked, we all know that there are some good bosses out there. We all know that there are horrible bosses out there. I mean, I had one that we called evil. You know, and the nickname was Satan. You know? I mean, yeah. Oh, gosh. I mean, this guy was bad. I mean, bad you know but but what if you're a christian boss what if you instead of saying i'm here to you're here to serve me i'm here to make your life better and so a lot of times some of the people who are under me they actually did better than me you know and that you know i, I that just pleased me when that happens so once again there's nothing wrong with having a high position. It's how you use your power that's important. And finally, if this is really interesting, let's go on to verse number 12. Then Haman said, Even Queen Esther let no one but me come with the king to the feast she prepared. And tomorrow also I'm invited by her together with the king. Once again, he goes, Woo, I'm special. The queen invited me to another banquet. Just me. Just me and me alone. But, this is the kicker here. It says, next verse, Yet all this is worth nothing to me as long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the gate. He had all of these things. He had money. He had promotions. He had power. He had sons. And what did he say? He said, all of this is meaningless because of that man who will not bow down to me. That man who doesn't fear me. He's just ruining everything for me. Do you guys have a Mordecai in your life? Well, God has blessed you with so much. But you can't enjoy it. Because there's this one Mordecai who's standing right there. It could be a family member. It could be a co-worker. 
who reminds you constantly, oh, this is what, how I've risen in the company. Or it could be when you go to family gatherings and they tell you about, oh, my kid's doing this, my kid's doing that. What's your kid's doing? And they know full well what your kid's doing. And they know full well that whatever they're doing is not as good as their kids. And they just want us to know it. Yeah, come on. We've all been at family reunions like that, right? You know? And my response is, you know, hey, I just, Michael's doing great. You know, he's following the Lord. Whoever God calls him, that's what I want him to do. You know? And, And so, but... Here we have a guy who had everything, who could not enjoy it because of Mordecai. Because there was this one man who wasn't bowing down to him because he wasn't fearing him. But maybe that Mordecai is not another person. Maybe that Mordecai is you. Have you ever thought about that? Well, God has given you so much, and yet you can't be happy because you don't think it's good enough. Maybe it's because that's the way you were brought up, where your parents were always pushing you. You're not good enough. Look at so-and-so. You could be so much better. How come you're not a 4.6? So-and-so is a 4.6. How come you're not, you know, going to Stanford? So-and-so is going to Stanford. You know, or how come you can't score as many points as so-and-so? Look at so-and-so. You know, we, all that. And so maybe you were raised in that environment, and that there's something inside of you that cannot be happy with God, what with God has given you because you are the Mordecai in your life. That no matter what God gives you, as long as you see that Mordecai, ooh, you're not going to be happy because it's not good enough. Because you don't think it's good enough for you. And how do we deal with that? And we're going to conclude with this. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. So basically, what do we do when, you know, things are going really well for us, yet we can't be happy because there's a Mordecai in our life. He's just ruining it, or we think he's ruining it for us. Is that to acknowledge that God's way is the best way. It says, in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. He doesn't say, in some of your ways. Maybe in this way you can acknowledge him, and this way, um, we'll, we'll let you slide with that. No, he said, in all your ways, acknowledge him. Acknowledge him that his way is the best way. So when it comes to wealth, you know, a lot of times we compartmentalize, you know, spiritual and our secular. What we, when we acknowledge God is we bring them together. We invite God to be a part of that. So what we're saying, acknowledge God that, you know, God, your way is the best way to use finances. Acknowledge that God is your way is the best way for me to raise my children. That I want them to follow you. I want them to be a lover of Jesus Christ rather than a lover of the world. That's what we're talking about here is acknowledging God's ways. It's acknowledging God that, yes, he's given me promotions. He's brought me to this place at work and power. But I acknowledge that God did that so I could make a positive influence. So I could bring God's glory to the place that I work at. That's what it means to acknowledge all of his ways. And so all of the things that we listed there, 
what God is inviting each one of you. And I challenge each one of you this Sunday is if you could bring them together. Don't keep them apart. Don't say, oh, my wealth, my children, my, uh, promo- my work, my promotions, you know, all of those things. My family, they're all here and God's here. Bring them together. Bring them together. And if you don't know how to do that, pray. And if still God is leading you, because you're going to have to make some tough choices, and I get it. I've had to make some tough choices in this area. But the only way that you could be satisfied and content is if you could bring those things that Haman was bragging about and acknowledging that God has a plan for those things. Because nothing, none of those things are wrong in and of itself. But you find great satisfaction when you bring them under the lordship of Jesus Christ and you bring them together. Let's pray. You know, I know how hard it is to be a parent and I know how hard it is to um, deal with all of the different things that pull at our children's attention. And I want to pray for you fathers right now who are struggling with that. That God will, that through his spirit, he will convict you. That your main responsibility as a father is to teach them the ways of the Lord. For those things are eternal. Everything else, whether it's their accomplishments on the sports field, their accomplishments in the classroom, um, their accomplishments in the arts, or whatever that's pulling your kids away from that is just temporal. And the Bible says that what would it profit your children if they gain the entire world but lose their soul? And dads, I know you don't want that for your kids. I know that you want when your kids stand before Jesus Christ, that they would look at him and Jesus would look at them with his loving eyes and say, well done, good and faithful servant. I know you want that for your kids. So what it's going to take is courage to make the decisions and how to balance those things. And for those of you who are working right now, who you've seen people getting promoted ahead of you that you don't think are worthy, Continue to follow God. Continue to work hard. And let God take care of that. And for some of you who are in high positions at work, see that as an opportunity where you can make your workplace, your department, your area, a place where God's glorified. And so this week, will you spend time before God asking him, to give you direction and wisdom and how to acknowledge him in all your ways.